What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. I'm your host, Drew. What a time to be a Buffalo sports fan as both the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres are off to incredible starts. In this upcoming episode, we're going to talk a little bit about both how the Bills played against the Miami Dolphins, how the last weeks of games for the Buffalo Sabres went, and the money question of the day, is it okay to boo your home team if they are not playing up to your standards? Stick around and let's have some fun. Before we start this podcast, I want to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, I want you to share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, or anybody you know that enjoys sports talk about Buffalo. Let them know that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course on Anchor. If you want to contact me at all, you can get at me at my email, which is sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at sportstalkbuff1. That's sportstalkbuff1 on Twitter to find out the latest news and notes from the show and also my opinions on a lot of the things that are going on in and around sports in general. Again, thank you all for listening. So let's keep this podcast growing and keep the ball rolling. So if you're ready, let's jump right into it. All right, so let's jump right into the segment and talk about the Buffalo Bills going 5-1 and one with their victory over the lowly Miami Dolphins. The Bills win 31-21. They do not cover the spread as the Bills were 17-point favorites the last I heard. And I got to tell you, this game was a lot closer than people really realize, and it could have easily went to the Dolphins. Now, the Bills in the first half, they really, really struggled. They struggled to put points on the board. They struggled to finish drives. They didn't necessarily struggle to move the ball downfield, but they did struggle to get the ball in the end zone. They settled for three first half field goals and just nine points in the entire first half. Normally, the Bills jump out to, I don't want to say jump out to a lead, but normally the Bills play well in the first two quarters. They have a down third quarter and then play well in the fourth quarter. This time, it was kind of completely opposite. The Bills played pretty terrible, in my opinion. Not just the offense, but the defense as well. Played pretty terrible in the first two quarters of the game. And here is the topic that I wanted to talk about. I talked about, I I previewed it a little bit in the opening, about booing your own team. Now, this topic was brought up to me by a friend of mine who said he wanted to hear my thoughts on the podcast about booing your own team. It comes because of a tweet from Thurman Thomas's daughter, Olivia Thomas, which she stated, booing your team is not helpful. They turned it around in the second half on all their own, all on their own, not because you idiots booing. Now, again, in my opinion, I think that a fan is absolutely and 100% entitled to boo. And I think when your team is favored by as much as the Bills were favored, and the fact that the Dolphins are quite clearly tanking, and you let a guy 
a journeyman quarterback completely pick you apart for the entire first half and you go into the first half or you go into the half losing to a team that is clearly tanking wanting the number one overall pick to a journeyman quarterback to a bunch of guys no one's ever heard of to the fact that you're down 14 to 9 going into the half and your team is playing like straight up booty cheeks yeah you should boo you should absolutely boo them you should let them know that you are completely uh, displeased with the the product that they're putting on the field, you should 100% boo. And the fact that people say that you shouldn't boo them, oh, it's not helpful, it's not helpful. Who cares? Who cares? I paid good money to watch you guys go out here and perform and to beat the crap out of this terrible, terrible team. And for you to not show up is completely embarrassing. Now, the Bills, they did turn it around in the second half, but the first half for the Buffalo Bills, they should be completely, completely embarrassed. And here's some more uh, tweets that I wanted to tell you about. Also tweeting was Patricia Thomas. Booing is disrespectful in nature. If we are all speaking truth, sure, it's your right as a ticket holder, but that doesn't make it cool behavior. It's counterproductive and not true fan behavior. To those of you getting really personal, you just made my point. That is the dumbest argument I have ever heard in my life. The fact that you are a fan and the fact that you're sitting there and you paid hard-earned money for those seats, what are you supposed to do to show your displeasure to the to the players on the field. Are you sit there are you supposed to sit there when when Josh Allen runs around, breaks three tackles, and then still takes a sack because he's too too stubborn to throw the damn ball away off the sideline. So he takes a 14 yard sack or whatever, however many yards it was. What are you supposed to do in those situations? Are you supposed to say, hey man, it's okay. Good job, buddy. I know you'll you'll get him next time. No, no. The society is too weak-minded, and the fact that you people are saying that you can't boo, that's that's straight-up garbage. That is absolute garbage. You should 100% be able to boo your team and let them know that you are completely not satisfied with how much they look like trash. They were sleepwalking through the entire first half, and the fact that they were only down 14-9 is incredible. It's, it's a fact that how... It's a look at how bad the Miami Dolphins really are is the fact that they're only down 14 to 9 the fact that the bills were so bad in the first half i i can't believe how bad they were in the first half and then in the second half Fitzpatrick continued to carve them up and he drove them right down the field and the score could have literally almost or the score was almost literally 21 to 9 except Ryan Fitzpatrick did what he always does and throws a pick at the wrong time great play by Trey White to really save the Bills defense and potentially save the game for the Buffalo Bills on that play on the very uh, on the previous play Jordan Phillips rushes through the line and gets a nice sack on Fitzpatrick to really set that play up but again the fact that you're telling me that I can't boo and let them know my displeasure. That's that's so far off base. It's not. It's not even. And, and then uh, the guy, my buddy Mark, who tells me that you know they they go on the radio and now they're saying that the radio guys are saying, "Ooh, well, you shouldn't boo. That doesn't make you a true fan." Give me a break, will you? Give me a break. Enough with this soft crap. These guys are professional athletes, and if they can't take the booing, guess what? Go get a normal job like everyone else and, and go make, you know, $50,000 a year. You're getting paid millions of dollars a year to go out there on that field and perform at the highest level. So perform at the highest level. Don't come here uninspired, looking like you're sleepwalking through the entire first half at home after a bye week against the worst team in potentially NFL history. That's embarrassing and you should get booed completely off the field. That is my thoughts on that. 
I'm going to leave it with that and continue to move on and talk a little bit more about the Buffalo Bills. As I stated before, Josh Allen needs to learn how to slide. Josh Allen is taking way too many hits, in my opinion, in the early parts of his career, and those hits are going to continuously add up. Take a look at what is happening to Cam Newton for the Carolina Panthers. It's seeming to work out for the Panthers, but I mean Cam Newton himself, he is taking such a beating over the years. Not only does he not get the, the roughing the passer calls when he gets hit in the chin, he doesn't get a lot of calls that, that a lot of pocket quarterbacks would get. Now, not only that, he is getting injured. He is constantly playing with some sort of injury because his body simply can't take it. He's only been in the league eight years, and his body, you can already tell his body is starting to break down. Another thing, like I just mentioned in my rant about booing your team, Allen has to learn when to throw the ball away. Too many times you watch Josh Allen try to make something out of nothing, and when there is still no play, when there's nothing to be had on that field, he tries to... he still tries to make something out of nothing, and he ends up taking negative plays. Those need to come out of his game, and they need to come out of his game rapidly if the Bills want any shot at competing in the AFC. Another thing that has to be better for the Buffalo Bills to be able to compete in the AFC and really challenge the New England Patriots is they must start to get pressure with their front Four guys. The Bills are ranked 22nd in the NFL in sacks with just 13 sacks on the year. Four of those sacks were not even by their front four guys. And you could tell against a very patchwork offensive line for the Miami Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick had time uh, over and over again to sit back, survey the field, and pick the Bills apart. He threw for 282 yards, one touchdown, one interception in this game. He also ran for a touchdown. But the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to throw for 282 yards with a bad offensive line, with receivers that nobody has ever heard of, is is very bad. It, it does not speak well of your team that, that Fitzpatrick was able to have such success against you. It is providing a framework for teams to be able to beat you. Now, Again, uh, Walton also ran the ball very well against the Buffalo Bills defense. Had 14 carries for 66 yards. He averaged 4.7 yards per carry. In the defense, Fitzpatrick recognized the weakness on this team, which is uh, normally a strength of the team. Levi Wallace has been very good for the Buffalo Bills, but he picked on Levi Wallace early and often and he struggled mightily in this game. It didn't look like, at least from my perspective, obviously I didn't really break down all the film. It didn't look like the Bills gave Levi Wallace too much help on his side of the field. As again, he Fitzpatrick continued over and over and over and over to throw to that side of the field and and keep uh, keep getting completion after completion after completion. And the Bills and... Uh, the defensive coordinator really need to work on and shifting and, and getting him some help over there when he is overmatched. Now, on the other side of the field is night and day. Trey White balled out. He had five tackles. He had one interception, which was a huge interception. It completely turned the game around for the Buffalo Bills. 
The Dolphins were driving. They were about to make it 21 uh, to 9. He comes up with a, an interception, and the Bills drive down the field and get a touchdown. That was potentially a game-saving interception for Trey White. He came up absolutely huge in this game. Uh, he also did force a fumble, and the Bills recovered and and were able, I believe, to score on that possession also. That is absolutely key. They showed up when they needed to show up in the second half, when they woke up. But again, the the game could have really went in a different direction had these plays not been made by the Bills' uh, defense in the third quarter. Now, of course, Allen, being Josh Allen, had a very, I wouldn't say had a kind of a shaky first half. Didn't necessarily look all that great, aside from one pretty fantastic pass up the left sideline to Patrick DeMarco. But he is, again, Captain Clutch, comes through in the second half. He is 10 of 11 for 111 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions in the second half, mind you. His only incompletion was something that I wanted to talk about is his deep pass to Andre Roberts. Here's the thing. Josh Allen, you have a monster arm, probably one of the best arms I have ever seen in my lifetime. But that doesn't do anything if you can't hit the receiver downfield. Andre Roberts beats his man on the left sideline on a post route, is wide open, beats his guy so bad he has four yards at least of separation, and Josh Allen still outthrows him by 10 plus yards. That is a, an issue that Allen really needs to work on. They really need to, his intermediate and short passing game has really come a long way for the Buffalo Bills, but his long passes, his passes, down the field. He missed two of them in this game. He did miss one in the first half to John Brown, who John Brown had on the right sideline, had his guy by a step. If he drops that in the bucket, that's a touchdown for John Brown. If he drops the one in the bucket to Andre Roberts, or even if he underthrows just a little bit, he still has a very long completion and Roberts is probably walking into the end zone. Those are things that you need to be able to do to beat the best teams in the NFL. You can get away with it against the lowly Dolphins, but if you start playing the good teams in the AFC when you get to the playoffs, if you get to the playoffs, it looks like you're getting to the playoffs right now, but if you get to the playoffs, those are the plays you must make to win the games in the playoffs. You can't have those mishaps against good teams and uh, have them be forgiven with plays later in the game. When you get those plays, you have to convert on those plays. Now, uh, Josh Allen, another thing we talked about is his clutch ability in the fourth quarter. One of the interesting stats that I've seen, Josh Allen leads the NFL in fourth quarter passer rating. He has a passer rating in the fourth quarter, mind you, of 139.6. Now, that is huge because it shows that when the game is on the line, you want a guy like Josh Allen to have the ball in his hand. He's going to be able to drive down. He's going to be able to make plays when it's necessary to win the game. And that is huge. That's something that the Bills have not had for a very long time in Buffalo. Now, Josh Allen finished the game with, he was 16 of 26 for 202 yards passing and two touchdowns, zero interceptions. That is the big stat, I think, in this game is the fact that he played mistake-free football. He had zero 
interceptions, which again is very, very key for the Bills to be able to continue on this hot streak that they are on. John Brown continues to play well for the Buffalo Bills. He and Allen seem to have a natural connection. He catches five passes for 83 yards and a touchdown. And Cole Beasley gets his first touchdown reception as a Buffalo Bill. He had three catches for 16 yards and one touchdown. The Bills barely escaped beating the Miami Dolphins in Buffalo. That is a big thing and something that the Bills should be concerned about. The fact that they had two full weeks to prepare for the Dolphins and came out and laid an egg in the first half is very concerning. Now, did they get it together in the second half? They sure did, and that is the mark of a good team is to be able to pull games out when your team's not necessarily playing well. That is huge. The Bills are 5-1, and one, and when is the last time that not just the Bills were good, but the Buffalo Sabres were good also? My goodness, what a time to be a Buffalo sports fan since 1999, that seems to be a very critical year in Buffalo sports history. Since 1999, the no goal and in, in the Stanley Cup Game 6 against the Dallas Stars and the forward lateral pass, the quote, Music City Miracle, that seemed to really doom Buffalo, the Buffalo sports franchises for quite a while. But both teams are back. Both teams look good for the most part. Um, and both teams continue to have a recipe to win games. The Bills have one of the easiest, the second easiest schedule in the NFL in the last uh, part of this uh, season. And the Buffalo Sabres continue again to show that they are resilient, they are calm, they are cool, they, co- they are collected, and continue to win their games. Now, stick around in the second segment as I'm going to talk about those very Buffalo Sabres who played this evening and who picked up another big win. So stick around. That's going to be a fun segment. All right, let's jump right into this segment and start talking about the Buffalo Sabres. I think there's something brewing here in Buffalo. I just want to start out by saying I don't think you can underestimate the job that Ralph Kruger has done so far this year. It is essentially the same lineup As we had last year, a few key pieces on defense, a few key pieces on offense, and this team is suddenly 8-1-1 to start the season in their first 10 games. My goodness, what a turnaround from last year and their horrible, horrible play last year. The team seems faster. They're making decisions uh, a lot quicker. The outlet passes are a lot faster. And the defense is really getting the puck up ice. As I've said said in other podcasts, they're really going north-south. They're not playing too much east-west hockey. They're really going north-south. And it is showing up in their game. They're getting in on the forecheck. They're really banging teams down low. They're working the cycle game. And they are scoring goals. And a big thing that the Buffalo Sabres are doing and have done and can continue to do this season is they have been consistent. Whether they're playing up or playing down, they always seem to keep the same pace of the game. And that has really, really helped the Buffalo Sabres be able to cultivate this 8-1-1 start that they've had. I think that the Sabres have really seemed to take in the personality of their coach, Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger, to me, when I hear him speak, when I've seen him in press conferences, he always seems calm, he always seems cool, he always seems in control. And I think that the Sabres 
uh, players have really taken to that kind of control and brought it in their own game. Now, Kruger says they work on things all the time after practice, so it's never good enough. If they win 4-3, to three, if they win 4 nothing, it doesn't matter. The game's not good enough. They continuously find things to work on uh, in the next practice, and Kruger has really got this team playing very, very well. And I know it's very early. We're only 10 games into the season, but I have to say it. If the Buffalo Sabres can continue playing as well as they have. Obviously, they're not going to win all of the games continuously throughout the year. They're going to hit some adversity. But if Kruger can help pull them through adversity and have them continuously play good hockey like they're playing right now, is he in the discussion for coach of the year? In my opinion, he has to be. He has to be because he's taken a team with essentially the same roster Uh, minus a few key pieces last year, and completely turned this team around, did a complete 180. And a lot of fans, including myself, were really hesitant to start believing in this team coming into the season because of the, I don't want to say the the lack of movement in the offseason. There were trades and moves, I think, left on the table that the Sabres could have done. But I think that Jason Botterill has done a fantastic job And I'm going to say that now for the first time. I didn't think he did enough. I think he's done a fantastic job at being able to build this team and finally get some depth. It's not just the first line. It's not just the Eichel line scoring all the points, although they did in this past game. It's not just the Eichel line scoring all the points. You're getting point production one through four. And that is huge. That is what the best teams in the NHL have been able to do. Teams like the Boston Bruins who have guys on their fourth line scoring 15, anywhere from 15 to like 25 points year after year. That is what helps them continue to be contenders in the NHL. And the Sabres are finally, finally starting to do that. So let's start off and talk about the Sabres' first game of their Western road trip. Uh, The Sabres went and visited Anaheim. They played the Ducks. The game started off great. The Sabres took a 2-0 lead. Uh, the first goal, Eichel, great play, blocks a shot, picks the pocket of the defenseman, races down the left side of the board, or the left side of the ice, boxes off his defenseman, drops his shoulder, makes a great move on the goalie, and stuffs the puck in. That was an unbelievable goal by Jack Eichel and really shows how much stronger he is on the puck this year than he has been in previous years, which is scary for other teams to think about because Eichel has always been very strong on the puck. The second goal, the Sabres, like I said, they jumped out to a 2-0 lead. The Sabres on the second goal, their their power play is not getting those uh, those seam passes as they were early in the season. A lot of teams are seeing that. They're kind of blocking the seam off a little bit. So they play the puck down low. They jam away at it. Great play by Skinner to jam, get a shot, come back in, jam away at it, get it to the open. Victor Olofsson, who pots another power play goal, and they take a 2-0 lead. Uh, in the second period of the game, I believe the Sabres, uh, I think it's 2-2 two two or 3-2 two Ducks at this point. Olsson comes in on a breakaway. He misses on the backhand, but that's not the story of this play. He goes up in the air to grab the puck as it bounced off the end boards. He gets hit from behind, and guess what? The first person in there is Sam Reinhardt. I love it. Sam Reinhardt sticking up for his teammate, jumps right in, doesn't hesitate, grabs a guy, puts him in a headlock, and all the Buffalo Sabres converge 
Everyone grabs somebody, and the Sabres showing that they will not be pushed around, that they, in any situation, that they are going to be how the Sabres were when they went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, and that is team tough. They don't necessarily have guys on the team that are going to be rough and tough guys, guys that are going to bang you around the ice, guys that are going to drop the mitts, but the Sabres appear like they want to be team tough, and that means guys standing up for one another in situations, guys that are that play out of character, and all the Sabres are literally running through a wall for each other. They are playing for each other, and that is a fantastic sign to see. Uh, in this game, the the Ducks score uh, to on the second goal. The Ducks have uh, Ristolainen has the puck behind the, or on the side of the net. Bad giveaway behind the net comes out. They score a goal, and then the Ducks are kind of off and running. The fourth goal on this play. Uh, on this game, Linus Olmark really needs to make the save in that situation to keep it a one-goal game to really give the Sabres a chance to win it. It's, it sneaks through Olmark, and the Sabres end up losing that game 5-2. to two. It is their first and only regulation loss on the season, but there were still some positive signs in that game, such as the goal by Jack Eichel and getting out. Now again, they're going to face adversity. They're going to lose games. Not a huge deal. Last year, the Sabres hadn't won back-to-back games. The Sabres would lose, and then the losing just seemed to compound on itself. So the next game was very important. The Sabres come back, and they put back in Carter Hutton in goal. And what does Carter Hutton do? Gets his second straight straight shutout as the Sabres win 3-0. In this game, as I said, the scoring has been balanced. In In the first game of the Western Road Trip, of course, Eichel scores the goal. It's the first line really chipping in, getting uh, points on both of those goals. In the second game, it is the third line. VC gets his first point as a Buffalo Sabre on the left-hand side, drops it in the high slot to Casey Middlestat, who wastes zero time and fires it, scores his, uh, I don't know if that's his first goal of the year, but scored nevertheless. He scores a goal, great play uh, on the very next shift, uh, Middlestat comes in two on one with Connor Sherry, passes over to Sherry. Sherry does waste again, no time going down to his knee, buries that one, giving the goaltender no chance to come over and make a save on that one. And since Connor Sherry has come back, he missed four games with an injury. That Casey Middlestat line with Jimmy VC and Connor Sherry has looked every bit as good as they did in the first few games. And I think they really, really have something in that third line for the Buffalo Sabres. Casey Middlestad then adds a uh, an insurance goal on a tip-in play. Great play by Casey Middlestad. He is really starting to churn out points here for the Buffalo Sabres. And as I said in previous podcast, if Casey Middlestad can continue and consistently play the way he has played to start the year in his first 10 games... He is going to score somewhere between 45 and 50 points, I think, to end the year. He's really going to have to stay consistent, uh, consistently play with this much confidence, this much speed, if, if he's going to score 45 to 50 points. Moving on to the last and final game of their Western road trip, the Sabres visit the San Jose Sharks. And in this game, it was wild and woolly one back and forth and back and forth. Sabres end up winning 4-3. to Yoki Haru continues his strong play. He has a nice drop pass on the first goal of the game. He rushes up the left side of the ice, continues to rush, drops it back to Johansson, continues to the front of the net, distracts 
I believe uh, Martin Jones and Johansson is uh, able to beat him through the five hole to start off the game. It was a great start for the Buffalo Sabres. And again, as I stated before, Casey Middlestat really, really playing well. He continues to play well. And uh, he scores the second goal in this game off of a nice deflection. It was reviewed, but it was deemed that it was below the bar or at least at the bar. Casey Middlestad goes to the front of the net and is rewarded with another goal. Again, Skinner continues his strong play against the San Jose Sharks. He has been very dynamite. As you know, he scored that overtime winner last year. I believe it gave the Sabres their 10th straight win in a row. Analytics said that that couldn't continue. The Sabres were winning a lot of close games, a lot of one-goal games, and it was very exciting last year to watch them rattle off 10 wins in a row. But I got to tell you, this year seems so much more sustainable. They are a, a puck possession team. They are playing very, very well, and they are really grinding and, and being consistent. If the first line's not scoring, the second line's scoring. If the second line's not scoring, the third line's scoring. And if the third line's not scoring, it's the fourth line scoring. So the Sabres are finally starting to get contribution throughout their lineup on any given night. Any given line is dangerous. And that is what's making the Sabres so good early on in the season. The key is going to be, can they keep playing the same way? As I stated, to start the segment, the Sabres... They don't seem to panic when the other team comes back and scores a goal. They don't hang their heads. They just continue to grind and continue to try to keep consistently moving forward and playing their game. And sure enough, the fourth line continues again to contribute. It is Zemgis Gjurgensen's after a a very uh, hard-fought shift. Bangs one home up over the left shoulder of Martin Jones for the game-winning goal. Gives the Sabres the 4-3 win. Gives Linus Allmark the win in that game. The Sabres come back home and play the Sharks again. It is a home-and-home. The Sharks started a five-game road trip in Buffalo tonight. And I gotta say, the Sabres, they didn't play the first period very well. They got down 2 nothing. The first goal was a deflection. Not, not a big deal, of course. You know, deflections happen. It was a double deflection, actually. Great play by the San Jose Sharks. Fantastic uh, goal for them on the first goal. The second goal for the San Jose Sharks, not a huge fan of. We've been saying it. The reason why Sabotka is playing on the second line is to uh, be the defensive presence on that line. Well, he was surely not defensive on the second play of the game. He completely loses his guy on this play. The defenseman sneaks in back door. Uh, Saboka not able to get a stick on him in time. And it is an easy tap-in goal to give San Jose a 2-0 lead. It really looked like the Buffalo Sabres were going to um, be outplayed and outclassed. In this one, uh, they were, in my opinion, outplayed the, uh, the entirety of the first period. And they came back in the second period and just dominated the San Jose Sharks. They come out, uh, Eichel, here's the thing, Eichel passed up several opportunities in this game to shoot the puck, and it's going to be expected that Eichel doesn't shoot the puck all the time. He still ended up with eight shots, which is incredible, and he gave up probably two to three prime scoring chances in this game, including one on the left side of the, or the left side of the net, uh, the left side of the net, if you're looking behind the net for San Jose, uh, Ike's 
has the puck in a prime scoring position and tries to get a little too cute, tries to pass it back across the grain, even though he had the entire top of the net to rip it at. Um, that Those are the plays that I've grown to expect from Jack Eichel, and only because he is a pure playmaker. Jack Eichel, as good as a shot as he has, he's got a bomb of a of a slap shot. He's got a cannon, an absolute, well, I'm going to say this one, an absolute laser, it's a better way to describe his wrist shot, of a wrist shot. And he still, he has a passing mentality. He is an unselfish guy. He likes to uh, make plays for his teammates. He wants his teammates to finish the plays. Eichel still ends up with four points in this game, including two goals, even after the crowd got on him a little bit in this game. He acknowledged it in his post-game interview with uh, Brian Duff and um, and uh, Marty Buran there. Uh, Buran pulling no punches, really asking him about it. And uh, Ikes knew exactly what uh, Marty was talking about. Uh, mentions that the crowd was getting on him a little bit, which I heard uh, on the telecast, the crowd getting on him a little bit to shoot that puck. And in the power play, the second power play, and sure enough, Ikes with an absolute bomb, he didn't pick a corner, but he doesn't have to. He's got a he's got a bomb. He blasts it, and it goes through Martin Jones, two to one. San Jose up uh, on this one. Ike's on the second goal again. Fantastic play along the boards. Eichel controls the puck, pass it across to into open space, right on Ristolainen stick. Ristolainen has ten to fifteen feet to be able to walk in and really set up a shot. Sam Reinhardt is where he is normally standing right in front of the net, right in front of Martin Jones. He gets a stick on the shot. Sabres tie it up at two in the last minute of the third period. And then to come out, or the second period, I beg your pardon. And then the third period, they come right out. They have a, a very nice first shift. Olofsson goes off for a change. Skinner finds some open space as the, the defenders are drawn to Eichel and Reinhardt behind the net. Eichel makes a fantastic pass out in front, and Skinner's not going to miss from where he got the puck in this one as he beats the goalie far side, blocker side, on the on the third goal of the game. From that point on, though, it was uh, back and forth a little bit, but I think that the San Jose Sharks really picked up their game. They really hemmed the Sabres in on, on a few opportunities. They had a few opportunities in this game to score the equalizer, and then... Zemgis Gergensen loses his his man, which is Carlson, on the back door. Carlson gets the puck, beats Carter Hutton five hole to tie the game three to three, and then the Sabers again. As I'm mentioning, it it comes down to coaching. They don't panic. They just didn't panic. They end up taking the game to overtime, which is fine. They at least get a point, and then in overtime they dominate. They completely dominate the San Jose Sharks in overtime. The Sharks touched the puck for all of 25 seconds, maybe, in the entire overtime. And then uh, the Sabres come come down on a two-on-one. The first one, Ristolainen rips a shot, uh, saved by Martin Jones, goes all the way around. The Sabres retain the possession of the puck. They get it. Uh, a really nice play on, on the next shift by Casey Middlestad. Hustles gets, I mean, buries his head, skates hard all the way back down to the end of the ice. The pass comes across, and Casey Middlestad is able to take it. He turns up ice, looks like he's going to start moving the Jets, but you can tell that he is very tired. He was out there for quite a long time. Decides uh, A very smart play decides to turn it back. He was going to go one-on-two, which is never a good thing, especially in overtime. He was going to go one-on-two, turns it back, 
by this time, waits. Somebody comes forward. They go. Uh, the San Jose Sharks go to change. He fires a pass up to Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, Ristolainen comes in with Jack Eichel and a two-on-one. Fires another shot. Brent Burns was the defenseman in this one. Fires another shot. Martin Jones makes a save. It lays in between Martin Jones' legs. They jam away at it, and then Eichel is able to find it and bury it before the net comes off. The play was reviewed for the net coming off and goaltender interference. There was no goaltender interference, and the puck was clearly in before the net came off. It gives the Sabres their second straight 4-3 win over the San Jose Sharks. And the Sabres, again, like I said before, start their season off 8 one and one. The Sabres are five and zero at home for the first time in 35 years. They continue their strong play at home. Jack Eichel, I believe they said he had 14 points uh, so far this season. 13 of them have come at home. So Eichel really enjoying being at home this year as he is just completely dominant when he plays in Buffalo. My goodness, we talked about it uh, earlier, can the Sabres sustain the success that they've had to begin uh, to start the season? And it is starting to look more and more like they can. It is starting to look more and more like Ralph Kruger is the answer behind the bench for the Buffalo Sabres. He seems like he's putting his players in the best position to win games. It's not necessarily about individual stats, as a lot of people would like to see Jeff Skinner up on that front on, on that first line because Victor Olofsson's not really producing five on five. But guess what? You take Victor Olofsson and put him on the second line and put Jeff Skinner on the first line. Now instead of four lines, you go down to two lines because you effectively cancel out the uh this the second we go from four lines to one or four lines to three lines because you effectively cancel out that second line because Marcus Johansson, Victor Olofsson, and Vladimir Sabotka, that's not a very impressive second line. That's not a very impressive fourth line, if you ask me, uh, at least five on five. That would effectively cancel out the Sabres' depth. You got you to gotta keep Jeff Skinner on that second line. He's producing five on five. Eichel and Reinhardt can continue to produce five on five, draw penalties, and Victor Olofsson will slowly but surely start to get five on five. He'll start to understand where he needs to be on the ice. He has played, I thought he, I think he's played pretty strong five on five. He's starting to get opportunities. He's starting to play well defensively uh, in five on five, in a lot of five on five situations. So I think if you're patient, you got to give him some more time. The Sabres just have depth right now and you can't, you can't mess it up. If the Sabres are eight, one and one, you can't mess up the depth right now. They have a lot of mojo going and you want to keep the lineup the same every single night as long as everyone is continuing to play uh, the way that they have been playing. With that said, that's going to end this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, you can tell uh, tell your friends and tell your family that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. They can also follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk Buff one you can also uh, get at me at my email, which is uh, sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. Thank you again for listening. I hope you guys have a good week.